0: Good evening. evening. We come, of course, tonight on this Good Friday evening to consider the things of our salvation. The very pivot around which all of human history revolves is the moment when the Son of God gave himself as a sacrifice for us who took the penalty of our sin and separation from God, and in taking that penalty, knew the alienation, knew the distance, knew the loss and abandonment of those who die without knowing God. This night, of course, we remember the best of all of us. Yes, He was the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, He was the bravest. He was the most noble. He was the best of us. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to read to you the story of the cross afresh. And I want to give you the opportunity to consider two of the things that were said, two of the statements that were said as Jesus hung upon the cross. One of the statements was a statement that He made, and another is a statement made by one of the, by the bystanders. But first I want to read the passage in Mark's Gospel. It's, um, it's not particularly short, but covers, of course, all of the important details. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see who would get what. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with Him, one on the right and one on His left. Those who passed by hurled insults at Him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked Him among themselves, He saved others, they said, but He can't save Himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with Him also heaped insults on Him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to him. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome in Galilee these women had followed him and cared for his needs many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there and so there's the story familiar features that we've heard many times over and we of course hear the mocking we see the torment we recognize the desperation of the women who stood there, we hear the voice of dereliction as Jesus cries out, my God, my God. But there is something more that is going on. Of course, we understand that Jesus is offering himself as a sacrifice for us all. Jesus, our champion is taking on the great enemies of our life, of sin, of death, of the devil himself. And in his death, he is defeating our great enemies. But Jesus, in giving the cry that many see simply as a cry of dereliction, is indicating that there is a script that's being followed here. And if only those who will listen will lean in, they'll understand that all of this is not a series of terrible events conspiring to bring about the death of a heroic man. But these are events that have been laid out in prophecy for many years. If I said to you, God so loved the world, most of you would be able to continue the verse. Most of the people who gathered around the cross were devout Jewish people. And this is something that we don't necessarily see from our vantage point. Most of the people that gathered around the cross, whether they be close to Jesus or deeply estranged from Him, were people who had been trained in the synagogue schools. Now in the synagogue schools, of course, there are really no books. There's only one book. And that's what we know as the Old Testament. And there's really only one discipline and one exercise that is given to the children of in the synagogue school, and that is to memorize vast portions of the Old Testament. The average Jewish person living at the time of Jesus would have committed to memory the first five books of our Bible and all of the Psalms. These would be things that everyone would have as part of the fabric of their life. And so when Jesus cries out from the cross, He's not simply crying out with a voice of dereliction. He's giving a reference. Most of us know Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. The Psalm immediately before that begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groanings. You see, if I said, for God so loved, you would continue. Jesus from the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The people who were standing around would just continue to recite from memory the Psalms that had been built into them from early, early years. They would continue to run the Psalm through their minds. Of course, these are the days when there are no books, there are only records that are kept in royal courts. And so, To have a book available means that you have to memorize it. And so they would be running through their minds the words of Psalm 22 and they would remember these words, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. The women who stood there would continue to recite the words, and Mary herself, a devout, religious Jewish woman, would get to verse 9 and would look at Jesus and hear these words You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so the psalm would continue in their minds and in their memories. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Can you imagine? As the people from memory are reciting the words that Jesus has just referenced, things are beginning to unfold for them. All of this is running to a script. All of this is not the accident of history. But the preordained plan of the living God speaking through King David. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For the Kingdom belongs to the Lord. And He rules over the nations. Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn for He has done it. All of those words would have run through the mound, through the minds and maybe even you could hear it murmured on the mouths of the people surrounding the cross. And there would be a realization in the hearts of some that this tragedy has been foretold This terrible event has been foreordained, and this terrible end will be turned to good. There's another person at the cross who speaks a vital word. And again, there's more to it than immediately meets the eye. And so I'm going to read it to you again. From verse 38, it says this, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. There are three key things that happen at the very end of the story. In verse 37, Jesus breathes His last. Then the curtain is torn in two. And then the centurion says, this is the Son of God. This appears to conclude the story. But of course, the conclusion of the story is a perfect mirror of the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is fascinating because in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. The Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At the beginning, there is a tearing. At the beginning, there is the Spirit present. At the beginning, there is a voice declaring who Jesus is. And all of that is being declared from the heavens. Jesus is being revealed from heaven to be the answer to the world. At the end... His spirit leaves him as he breathes his last. The curtain in the temple is torn in two. And the voice of lost humanity. The one who was in charge of his crucifixion. Echoes the words of our Father in heaven. This is the Son of God. And so, we can see that there's something more. There's something deeper. There's something more significant here. And what is that? It's simply this. That when the Spirit left Jesus and He died in our place, the very barrier between us and God, represented by the curtain, revealed in the heavens, was torn not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. As though great hands had reached down from the heavens, grasping the image, the picture The symbol of separation between God and humanity. And those great hands from heaven tore that barrier in half. And when that barrier was torn, the lost of the world were able to see Jesus for who he is. The Son of God. Jesus died for you and me, that we might be forgiven, that we might be declared holy, that we might be declared righteous, even though it's impossible for us to do righteous things. Jesus died on our behalf, battling the enemies that we find it impossible to defeat. We cannot defeat death. We cannot defeat sin. We cannot defeat the devil. And yet, Scripture tells us that He took the blows of all of these enemies and in taking those blows, allowed them to kill Him. And as He took those blows, He disarmed the enemy because He was unable to remove the weapons from the body of Jesus. Jesus took them to the grave with him. Jesus did all of this so that you and I could be free. But more than that. He did it so that all could know. So that all could acknowledge. So that all could testify in the words of the centurion. Jesus is not just a tragic hero. He's the Son of God given for me. And in the same way that we recognize that this death is so much more significant than our personal salvation, it's the opportunity for the salvation of our families, our friends, our neighbors, our nation. In the same way, Jesus wants us to know by his very words from the cross that all of these things are not the accident of history but the plan of God. He planned all of this. And at the right time in history Jesus came to reveal and unfold a plan that God made for you and for every person from the foundation of the world. It's an amazing thing that God should love us enough to make that the plan. That God should love us enough to choose in the council of heaven. That this would be the way in which redemption would be bought and salvation would be won. This is the plan. And we're part of that plan. We're part of the posterity of Jesus. We're the family that He's come to declare the good news to. And as we receive that good news, and as we recognize that we are part of this incredible, awe-inspiring, panoramic story, that we get not only to be the recipients, we get to be the representatives of the plan. Because if a lost centurion, familiar with the ways of death and violence, can recognize that Jesus is the Son and give his testimony to that effect, then surely you and I, who are the recipients of all of the blessings of the cross, can do the same. And so this day, as we take communion, I encourage you, receive from Jesus that witness in your spirit that you're part of God's plan. That he had your name in his heart, written on the palms of his hands from ages long ago. That Jesus went to the cross for you. And the plan was for you. We gave you a little memory aid before you came in today. You know, they say that things are fixed in our memory. When we hear them. When we see them. And when we touch them. Today it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if it was set in our memories that we're part of the plan of God. That Jesus came for each one of us. And that our opportunity is to be His representative. a piece of cloth has got a little nick in it and that gives you the opportunity to tear the cloth try it now through the death of jesus he is torn everything that separated you from God asunder. And you have free access to the very heart of God. Let's share in communion together.